In Exodus chapter 3, Exodus chapter 3, I remember when I was younger, I probably watched entirely too much TV when I was young, and uh, I remember the old series, Mission Impossible. Anybody remember the old Mission Impossible? And they would say, your mission, should you choose to accept it? And, and uh, then after, after they shared that, then the tape or whatever it was would burn up, you know. I want to talk to you today about how important it is that we accept the mission that God's given to us. Paul said to the church at Corinth, he said that all of us have been given the ministry of reconciliation. And to every Christian has been committed the message of reconciliation. He said, we are ambassadors for Jesus Christ. And everywhere we go, we are crying out to those around us, both through our lives and through our words, be reconciled to God, be made right with God. So it's not just the five-fold ministry. It's not just the apostle, the prophet, the evangelist, the teacher, or the missionary in a foreign country who's been called to proclaim the gospel and, and minister to those who are hurting and broken. Matter of fact, I'm just going to tell you right now, they can't do it all. Matter of fact, the, 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 the Great Commission cannot succeed on the backs of five-fold ministry members alone, and God never intended that to be the case. Matter of fact, he, Paul told the church at Ephesus, he said the whole reason for the five-fold ministry, no matter what they are, what role they play, is to equip the saints, that's every individual believer, to go out and do the work of the ministry. So God's called each of us to go into our worlds, whether that means the marketplace, the workplace, the school, the college, your neighborhood, your family. Wherever you find yourself, God's put you there as a missionary. God's put you there as a minister of reconciliation. And God's given you the power to change the world. And though we don't see it in the graphic and dramatic terms that we're going to read about today in the book of Exodus, everywhere you go every day, there are people who have been crying out for a deliverer for a long, long time. Everywhere you go, there are people who are broken, there are people who are hurting. In this room today, right here, and I know we, we all put on the part and we all look okay, but there are broken and hurting people right in this room today. If you knew what was going on outside of this place, we would approach people with a whole different attitude than we do. Sometimes we can be so harsh and so judgmental and so critical, but none of us have any clue what's going on in someone else's life. Because when we come into this room, we all put on this front. We all put on this wall. We don't, we're afraid of what would happen if people really knew who we were. Some of you in this room have been betrayed and rejected and hurt by people who you shared with at some point in your life. And therefore, you began to build a defensive reaction. You put up a wall. You decided, I'm never going to be hurt like that again. So therefore, when people say, how are you doing? You tell them what you think you want to hear or they want to hear rather than what's really going on in your life. Here's the problem with that. The more that we begin to come to a place where we trust no one, we get ourselves marginalized into a corner where we don't have anybody to go to. Now, granted, we always have God, but sometimes we even get bitter and disillusioned and disappointed in God. 
Yes, even as Christians. Because, no, that prayer didn't get answered. Why didn't God answer that prayer the way? I mean, he answered somebody else's prayer. He did this for them. Why didn't he do it for me? I don't understand. And so we get bitter and disillusioned with God. And if we cut out other believers and if we cut out God, then we have nowhere to go with our pain except within our own mind and our own heart. And I've got news for you. And I talk about, I'm I'm included. None of us can heal our own pain. And none of us can bring freedom into a bitter place. So all around us, there are desperately broken and hurting people crying out. And they're just waiting for a deliverer to come. They're waiting on God. But here's the thing. God does His work through His people. So you and I are the answer that God sends into that workplace that you go to every day, that neighborhood that you live in every day, that marketplace that you shop in all the time. You are the deliverer. Jesus, No, Jesus is the deliverer. Yes, but Jesus lives through you. Jesus speaks through you. Jesus acts through you. Jesus loves through you and me. We're all responsible to take this love and take this good news, that's what the gospel is, into the world. In Exodus chapter 3, verse 1, it says, Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian. And he led the flock to the back of the desert, and he came to Horeb, the mountain of God. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire from the midst of a bush. And so he looked and beheld, the bush was burning with fire, but the bush was not consumed. And then Moses said, I will now turn aside to see this great sight, why the bush does not burn, or why it's not consumed. So when the Lord saw that he turned aside to look, God called to him from the midst of the bush and said, Moses, Moses. And he said, here I am. Every great move of God, every great calling of God, every great experience that we have with God generally takes place as we're simply being faithful in whatever it is God's called us to do. While most of us try to do everything we can to arrange the circumstances of our life around some special moment, special event, special conference, special seminar, special thing so that God can move, God generally does the most of his work in the midst of the ordinary day-to-day. Moses was just simply doing what he did every day. He had been doing the same thing every day for 40 years. Now, when Moses was a young man, he had been, you know, the story of Moses. He had been rescued out of the Nile River in the, in the basket and taken on and adopted into Pharaoh's family, the, the son of Pharaoh's daughter. And he had been raised up in the schools of Egypt and raised up in the military training of Egypt. And, and in one sense of the word, wasn't a direct heir to the throne, but an indirect heir to the throne. So Moses probably had great confidence. As a matter of fact, he, he most likely did because when he went out among his brethren... And he saw them being persecuted by Egyptians. You remember that Moses, on his own accord, slew an Egyptian taskmaster so that he could deliver his brethren. And then when he saw two of his own Hebrew brethren arguing with one another, he tried to be the mediator. And they looked at him and said, who do you think you are? Are you going to kill us like you did the Egyptian taskmaster? And when Moses realized that the word had got out and spread about the murder of the Egyptian taskmaster, he became afraid and he runs away. And he winds up in Midian, and he marries a young woman there, and and he begins to take care of the flocks of his father-in-law. And he does that for 40 years. So the first 40 years of Moses' life, everything's great. Everything's wonderful. 
He, he, he lives in all the riches you could imagine. He has all the fame that you could imagine. He has a great reputation. He's, a, he's educated in the greatest schools. He, he knows what he's doing, and he's confident in himself, so much so that he takes it upon himself to be a deliverer for the people. But it doesn't matter how strong you are, how smart you are, how rich you are. If God's not in it, it won't work. And it took 40 years in the desert for Moses to figure that out. But the wilderness was a humbling experience for Moses. When we come back and find Moses, he's a different man. Totally different. And it's in that wilderness experience where he's just simply being faithful to do what he does that God shows up. The scriptural principle for that in the New Testament is that God says if we will be faithful over a few things or over small things, God then is able to make us ruler or put us in charge over many things. But see, here's the reverse of that. We love to talk about that because that's a great promise. But the reverse of that is if you can't be faithful when it's small, if you can't have a right attitude about serving when it's small, if you can't do it with all your heart when it's small and there's no fanfare and there's no patting on the back and there's nobody to praise you, then you're not going to ever be trustworthy enough to be a ruler over what is not small. And Moses found that out. God shows up in the ordinary place in an ordinary thing, a bush. Do you know how many thousands of bushes Moses saw over 40 years? He probably passed by this same exact bush hundreds and hundreds of times. It's not even unique that the bush caught a fire because spontaneous combustion in the desert wasn't an unusual thing. What was unusual about the bush is that it caught on fire, but it wasn't consumed. Now, there's a point here I want to make. God showed up not only in the place where Moses was just doing what he did every day faithfully, but God also showed up in an ordinary thing. There was nothing unusual about anything. There was just one little difference. Matter of fact, had Moses not been paying real close attention, he just, just could have walked right past it because when you, when you do a little research, you find out that it probably wasn't that big of a deal for Moses to see this bush burning. So had he not really been paying attention, he could have just walked right by before he realized that it's burning without being consumed. But something made him stop. And when he stopped, he said to himself, I'm going to stop and turn aside to focus on why this bush is burning without being consumed. There's just one thing that's different. I remember reading the story, if you're familiar with the Toronto outpouring from the early 90s, I remember reading the story of the pastors of that church, John and Carol Arnott. And they had been pastoring that church for some time and nothing was happening. It, it just seemed like it was getting drier and drier and drier. There was no life in the place. 
And they would go to the church every day and they would pray for an outpouring of the Holy Spirit. They would pray for God to send revival. They would pray for God to send a move. And then they would get up and and in the services, whatever times they had their services, everything would be the same as it was the week before. So for years, they would go every day and pray for God to send a revival. And for years, they would get up for service and it would be the same as it was the week before and the month before and the year before and the decade before. And they termed it like this in their testimony. They said we would go to draw out of the well and hope that we would draw wine, but it would be water every time. And they said we were so discouraged that we were about ready to quit and give up. And he said one day we just went to church like always to pray like always. The same thing they had been doing for decades, week after week, day after day, except this time, We went to the well to draw water, and it came up wine. And for years, people flocked literally from all over the world to see what God was doing in that little church by the airport in Toronto, Canada. People took part of what God was doing there all over the world with them, and church growth exploded in England and Europe and Germany and all over the United States. And their testimony is, we didn't do, what's your great secret? We didn't do anything different. We did, went to church and did the same thing we had been doing year after year after year after year except one day God moved. If you've heard of the Brownsville revival that went on in the late 90s in Brownsville, Florida with John and Brenda Kilpatrick where once again people came from all over the world to see what God was doing in that place and took back home. The real story of that revival is that Pastor John Kilpatrick was so frustrated with the dryness and the deadness of that church that he had his resignation letter filled out and was ready to turn it in because he felt like there was nothing he could do, nothing was happening, and there's nothing that was going to happen. As a matter of fact, he was so frustrated that he called in a guest evangelist because he just couldn't bring himself to get in the pulpit to preach because he was so tired of getting up expecting a miracle and seeing the same thing over and over and over again until one day when they went to church and did the same thing they always did God moved and for years there was a move of the Holy Spirit where people flocked I went to both places from little old Kentucky all the way to Canada all the way to Florida to see what God was doing and I was just one of hundreds of thousands who went to see what God was doing real revival people getting miraculously healed set free delivered getting saved backsliders getting right with God all all over And yet what happened was they just kept being faithful to do the same thing God had called them to do over and over and over again. And one day, boom, just one thing different and everything changed. Now here's my point. I said we need to accept the mission that God's given us. See, here's the thing. Usually... When God gives you a calling or a mission, it usually doesn't start out glamorous. And it usually doesn't start out big. And it usually doesn't start out as something that shakes the whole world. It usually starts out real small. Like every day, I want you to pray for your neighbor that annoys you so badly. 
And rather than being angry with them and talking about them, I want you to pray for them. And every week, I want you to do some little something special for them. That's it. Now, that's not world-shaking. It's not glamorous. As a matter of fact, if that's what God's called you to do, nobody will know that you're even doing it except your neighbor and you. And that's good because the Bible says when we do something good, we shouldn't even let our left hand know what our right hand's doing because then we can be rewarded by our Father who's in heaven. If we go out and we trumpet everything that we're doing, then the only reward we get is the people's reaction that hear what we're saying. But if we will just simply let God take care of that, he says, I'll make sure that that reward is great on the earth. Usually that's how a move of God begins. I want you to get up at an hour earlier than you do and I want you to pray for revival in, the, in this nation every day. That's your mission, if you will accept it. Nothing glamorous. Matter of fact, <laughs> if you're like me and God said, I'm glad he hadn't said that to me yet. If he says, uh, get up an hour earlier, there's not, not only nothing glamorous, I don't even like that direction. I have enough trouble getting up when I have to get up. And nobody knows I'm doing it except me and my wife, who I'll probably complain to every day because God asked me to get up an hour earlier every day. And a matter of fact, I might pray for our nation for... 15 years and never see any difference. As a matter of fact, it might seem to get worse before it gets better. And there's a lot of times where I'm going to say, I don't think I'm doing any good. I don't think this is accomplishing anything. Why am I getting up an hour earlier every day? Surely I must have missed it. But for the individual who will just be faithful to do whatever it is God told you to do with all of your heart, do the ordinary things extraordinarily, God will show up, but he will most likely show up in an ordinary place. And there might just be one little thing that's different, but if you'll turn aside, and if you'll put your focus on what God's doing. See, God is waiting to see if we'll turn aside to see Him. God's watching to see who will set their focus, getting it off of our own agenda, off of our own problems, off of our own ideas, off of what's swirling around our life. Let, let me just be honest. I don't mean to, 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 boy, I hope I don't hurt anybody's feelings with this, but it, I, here's the thing. If I ask everybody in this room to get up today and share all your problems, we could be here for the rest of the day and you would be astounded to hear what's swirling around it. Some of you think your world is the worst world. Some of you think, I may think, man, my problems are worse than anybody's in the world. God, why aren't you doing something about me until I hear somebody else's? And then I hear somebody else's and I'm like, thank you, God, for how good you've been to me. God, how good and how pleasant it is. God, my lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Thank you, God, for your grace. Thank you, God, for your mercy. All of us have those things, but God's waiting for the person who will turn their focus aside from where they are and everything that's swirling around trying to distract. Because, see, that's the whole purpose. The enemy's, the enemy's not just the great deceiver. He's the great distractor. He wants more than anything else to get your attention off of what it was that God originally put your attention on. And he will pull out all the stops to get all kinds of things swirling around in your life so that you don't have time to focus on what God is doing in your life and what God called you to. But if you'll just turn aside, God's waiting and he's watching for those who will turn aside and set aside their own agendas to focus on what God's doing. It was after Moses stopped and looked, not before, that God spoke. Now the bush was burning, 
But it was only after Moses stopped and turned aside that God spoke to him. And what God said to him, I think, is, a, is as important as the fact that God spoke. All he said was his name. Moses. Moses. Now, this is what's important. I want you to hear me, particularly if you've been disillusioned, particularly if you think God does not know where you're at right now, particularly if you think God's not listening to your prayers right now, particularly if you think everybody's getting prayers answered and miracles done and God has forgotten about you. Listen, the first thing God speaks to Moses is his name. Why is that so significant? Because, you see, Moses thought he was going to be a great deliverer 40 years earlier. And he decided he was going to do something about the fate of his people, but God wasn't in that. It wasn't God's timing, and it wasn't God's way. And therefore, it didn't work. And so now, after 40 years of being humbled in the wilderness, I imagine that Moses has some questions. As a matter of fact, I know he does because he asks some questions of God. But the first thing God says is Moses, and to me, what that says to me is, Moses, I know exactly where you're at. Listen to me. God knows exactly where you're at. It is no mystery to him. If, if God doesn't know where you're at, then you might as well walk out of this building today, throw your Bibles in the trash, because if God doesn't know exactly where you're at, he is not the God that the Bible describes. Because the God the Bible describes knows everything all the time. Nothing escapes his notice. He knows the end from the beginning. God knows exactly where you are. And when God spoke Moses' name, two things. Number one, Moses, I know you're in the backside of this wilderness. I know that 40 years ago you tried to be a great deliverer and it didn't work. I haven't forgotten who you are. And I haven't forgotten where you are. Not only do I know where you're at, but I still have a plan. I still love you. Moses, Moses. And Moses answers, here I am. After he had stopped and turned aside, God spoke to him. And the next thing he says in verse 5 is, Don't draw near this place. Take your sandals off your feet, for the place where you stand is holy ground. That's important because the place where he stood was just wilderness. It was a, He had probably walked across that same place a thousand times. There was nothing special. It was just dirt. That's all it was. In the physical, in the natural, the place where Moses was standing was just wilderness. That's it. Here's the thing. The presence of God changes every place you are into a place that is holy. So the, this is why this is so important. The presence of God can take the place where you're at physically right now. The presence of God can take the place you're at emotionally right now. The presence of God can take the place you're at spiritually right now. The presence of God can take the place you're at mentally right now and turn it into a holy place. The only thing you need is to recognize and enter into the presence of God. And the one thing the devil wants to keep you from the most is recognizing and getting into the presence of God because he knows the power of his presence. So he will distract you with a thousand things to keep you from just saying, I don't have time for that. I don't have time to be distracted by that. 
I need Jesus. So I am turning aside because I have to see him. And when God sees that, his presence comes. And when his presence comes, even your problem becomes holy. Even your difficulty becomes holy. Even your dry place becomes holy. Even your wilderness becomes holy because of the presence of God. I am so tired of hearing people say how I have to get out of this place before God can bless me. I have to get out of this situation before God can do anything in my life. I have to get away from these people before God can do anything in my life. That is so unbiblical. It is amazing and preachers preach it all the time. Listen to me. When God called people, he sent them in the middle of a mess all the time. If God went by the same principles as a lot of our charismatic preachers today, all of us would leave our mission fields, leave the hurting, leave the broken, leave the inferior, leave the insecure, leave the fearful, leave the doubters because we can't be contaminated with all that. Let me tell you something. Jesus goes right where they are. The Bible says that he's close to the broken and the contrite. The only way you can leave the hurting, the broken, the doubting, the angry, the only way you can get away from them is to get out of the will of God for your life. I don't care how many preachers say that. It's still wrong. God's called you right in the midst of people's pain. If we leave where the darkness is, there's no chance for light to be there. You are the light of the world. You are the salt of the earth. God didn't call you to get out of the world. He called you to go in it. And he's never changed that commission. He just doesn't want the world to get inside of you. That's the only key. So God says to Moses, take your sandals off. The place you're at is holy. Yesterday it was just desert. Five minutes ago it was just desert. Two seconds ago it was just desert. But right now it's holy because I'm here. Do you know your couch in your bedroom can go from just being a couch where you're crying in the middle of your depression to a holy place? The only thing that makes the difference is the presence of God. Your car can become a holy place. You can be driving. I know because I've experienced this. I don't mind telling you either. Because you know what? The minute we stop trying to be less than who we are and we admit who we are, the more God can use us. I've had times where I've driven down the car so mad at God, I'd scream at him. Now, I want you all to pick your lips up off the floor. and <laughs> I've, been, I've had times I've been so stressed out because of what's going on in my life and not understanding why God isn't doing something in a certain way that I go down the road yelling at God. Do you know why I know I can do that? Because David did that, and he was a man after God's own heart. God, <laughs> I love our fake holiness. Oh, I would never do that. I might think it, but I would never say it. Do you not realize God knows your thoughts? Who do you think you're fooling? Well, I would never say it. Well, God already knows what you're thinking. He heard every word. You didn't have the Bible says He knows every word before it comes. Well, I would never say it to God. Now I'd say it to everybody else. I'd, I'd talk to my neighbor about it and somebody on the phone about it, and I'd tell everybody else about how bad things are. I just never say it to God. It'd be better if you said it to God because your neighbor can't do anything about it. The person sitting beside you in the chair can't do anything about it. Even your husband, wife, father, mother who loves you more than anything in the world naturally can't do anything about it. But the one person you're not talking to about it is the one person who can do something about it and his name is Jesus and he already knows what you're thinking. So if we'll just turn to him, he can change us because that place where you're so broken and so angry and so upset, that car can become a holy place. All it needs is the presence of God. 
And all you have to do to have the presence of God is invite His presence and enter in. So he says, take your shoes off your feet. Take your sandals off your feet, Moses. Because now the place you're standing is holy. I want to mention this real quick before I move on. I'm probably one of the first people to complain when I think I'm not hearing from God enough. Oh God, God just isn't speaking to me like you. I just wish God would speak to me more. I'll just get, get real honest with you. I hear some of you talk about, yeah, God said this and God said that and God told me this and God told me that and God said this and God said that. Well, I got up this morning and God was saying hello. I read Jesse Duplantis' magazine yesterday. He said, I get up every morning and God says, hello, Jesse. I was like, well, that must be nice. I wave my hands like a signal flag in front of God. Seems like 24-7. I ain't heard nothing in three months. So, I mean, it's nice to get hello, Jesse, every morning. Now, I'm not saying God doesn't do that. He certainly can do that. But here's my point. Could it be that one of the reasons that we don't hear from God is because we never stop talking? How would you like to be in a conversation with somebody where they never... You ever been in a conversation with somebody where they never let you talk? You're always like... My wife and I were watching this uh, show. It was a Shark Tank the other night. There was this lady on there trying to shop her, whatever she was doing, get money for it. I sat there, and I don't know the woman. Never seen her before in my life. Never seen her again. Five seconds of her, I was like, throw her out of the room, woman. Shut up. I don't care if you've got the best things ever been invented. I couldn't spend five minutes in the room with you. Shut up. The entrepreneurs would try to tell her something. They'd say, well, and they'd do that, and she'd tell them again, you know, talk again. She talked herself out of an investment is what she did. I'm not trying to preach the gospel from the shark tank. What I am trying to tell you is I think sometimes we talk ourselves out of blessings. We talk ourselves out of miracles. We talk ourselves out of all kinds of things because before God can get a word in edgewise, we always have to say something else. God took the floor here. He said, Moses, take your sandals off your feet. You're in a holy place. Focus on me. But God never spoke to him until he stopped. Maybe one of the reasons we never hear from God is because we never stop. We never stop. Somebody told me one time, it's some of the best advice I ever had. I wish I would heed it more than I do. He said, it's the ultimate height of arrogance to think that the world depends on everything you do that you can't slow down and stop. If, the, if you can't slow down and stop, that means you're the most important person in the world because even God hollowed the seventh day and rested. And if God could stop, you can stop. And if you don't think you can stop, you must think you're more important than God. The world will go on. Stop. Some of the best advice I ever got. Don't always heed it. 
with some of the best advice I've ever. Maybe we're not hearing from God because he can't get us to stop long enough to turn aside. God didn't speak until Moses stopped. And we're about done. We won't get as far as I'd hoped today, but I want to just touch a couple of other things before we close. Verse 6, when God begins to speak to Moses, he says, I am the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look upon God. And the Lord said, I have surely seen the oppression of my people who are in Egypt. I've heard their cry because of their taskmasters, for I know their sorrows. So I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up from that land to a good and large land, to land flowing with milk and honey, to the place of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. Now therefore, behold, the cry of the children of Israel has come to me, and I've seen the oppression with which the Egyptians oppressed them. Come now, therefore, I will send you to Pharaoh. A couple of things there I want to hit on before we close. I love the way that God identifies himself with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. When he tells him, when he tells Moses who he is, first of all, let me just say this. Moses apparently wasn't a man of great faith and power. See, that's another mistake we make. We think that God can only use people that were, are great in faith and have great wisdom and great power and holy. We're going to find out not only here but in another place when we get there, maybe next week. Moses didn't really even know who God was. Not yet. And he's not the only one. Abraham was the same way. When God showed up and called Abraham out of the land of the Chaldees to, to go to a place that he would show him, Abraham didn't have any idea really who God was at that point in time. Now, now get this. <laughs> Abraham is given the nickname the father of faith. And yet when God called him, he didn't even know who God was. Moses is the great deliverer of the people of Israel out of Egypt. And when God showed up to call him, Moses had to ask God later, even after God had told him, Now, who are you? So the fact that you may look at yourself and disqualify yourself, oh, I, don't, I don't have all the faith I need. I don't have all, oh, there's so much I don't know. And I got all this. I messed up here and I messed up there. And I don't understand this and I don't understand that. And I just, I don't think God could ever use me because the people God uses, you know, they're just completely holy all the time. They got all their stuff together all the time. And they're all strong in faith and they're all smart and they all do this and they all got that. I don't know what Bible you're reading but we might need to take a little closer look because Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob are the patriarchs. They're given that term for a reason. They're the most highly respected figures in Jewish life, and I could give you character flaws in every one of them both before and after God called them. And yet God used them. I got news for you. Before God ever showed up in your life, before he ever handpicked you, before he ever knew, before you ever knew who he was or had any idea about him, he knew every failure you'd ever make, every mistake you'd ever make, and yes, I'm going to make one more statement, every sin you'd ever commit. And none of that stopped him 
from loving you, calling you, anointing you, equipping you, and appointing you. Do you know why? Because God is confident in his ability to change you if you will just hang out with him a while. Can I tell you something? I could preach a thousand messages and I could preach them better than any person on the planet if I just could. And that would not necessarily change you. But five minutes in the presence of God can change your life forever. And Jesus, listen, Jesus called one of the most motley crews of people to follow him you could ever imagine. And he called some of them. He called, listen, get this, it'll blow your mind. Jesus called Judas Iscariot to be his disciple, sent him out to heal the sick, cast out devils and raise the dead, knowing full well all the time that he would betray him. And he called him anyway. And he spent personal time with him. Judas was there in all those campfire conversations. Judas was there when they saw all the miracles. He was a part of them. Judas was there in all of those moments when Jesus taught on the mountain. Judas was there. And so was Peter. The one who denied three times that he even knew Jesus at all to a servant girl. And then in order to make them convinced, he cursed so that they would know. They wouldn't even think he was a disciple. And Jesus called him. One time, Peter got his direction so messed up that Jesus had to look at him and say, Get behind me, Satan. You don't understand what spirit you are of. And yet he called him. As a matter of fact, Peter is known as one of the great early leaders of the New Testament church. On the day of Pentecost, he's the one that stood up and proclaimed that this is what was spoken of by the prophet Joel. You see, Jesus understood, I'm calling a motley crew. I'm calling a bunch of folks who nobody else would choose. I'm calling a bunch of people who don't have their stuff together. I'm calling a bunch of people who are just as likely to kill somebody as they are to heal somebody. Oh, no, he didn't. Oh, yes, he did. There are people in that group, one of them's name is Simon the Zealot. And if you don't know what that means, that's named for a special dagger that they would carry around in their cloak because they were political hotheads. And if they saw somebody who didn't agree with them, they were just as likely to take that dagger and stab them in the gut as they were to love them. And Jesus called him. And Jesus had this understanding. If you will spend three years with me, you will change. And if you will be in Jerusalem on the day of Pentecost when the Holy Spirit falls you will continue to change. Do you know why God calls people who are flawed? Oh, I got two of them. Two reasons. One is because there are no other kind of people that exist. And the other is because he knows if he can just get you to spend time in his presence, there is nothing that he can't change. So he said, I'm the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Abraham the liar. Oh, he, he did twice. Matter of fact, he lied so bad he caused a whole nation to go through a plague. That's Abraham. A dad who was dysfunctional at best. A dad who, when he couldn't have a baby with one wife, and she said, well, let's just use our servant was none too hesitant to say, hey, good idea. That's the father of faith. Oh, and by the way, all of those incidents were after God called him, not before. After he started his journey. Isaac, 
he lied too for the same reason that his daddy did and caused the same problem in the same with, with the Philistines. Jacob, oh my, let's not even get started with Jacob. Do you know what Jacob means? Deceiver, thief, heel grabber, supplanter, and he lived up to his name. Matter of fact, up until the fact that he wrestled with God, long after he was called by God, up until the fact that he wrestled with God and God threw his hip out of joint, up until that moment, everything Jacob did was built on a bargain he tried to make with God. His whole relationship with God was built on bargains. God, you do this, I'll do that. God, you bless me here, I'll do this there. And yet God, when he shows up with Moses to tell him who he is, he said, I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. In one other place in the same chapter, he says, and that is my name forever. Do you get the magnitude of that? I sat at a family reunion just a month or so ago. And I listened to one of my family members tell me, where she had come from and her family name. And she said, but I don't like to call what my real maiden name was because my family's notorious in this county, not for good things. And I'm not anything like them, so I don't even like to tell people what my last name was before I got married. There might be a few of you in there that can identify with that statement. So I understand that. Just being a charismatic pastor, sometimes I feel the responsibility to tell people, no, I'm not part of that group. Uh, oh, no, I, I'm not uh, th- th- somebody, oh, are you one of those who believes that? Oh, no, I don't even follow that preacher. No, that's just not, no, no, that's not me. I uh, don't think that way. So how much more amazing is it that God says, you know who I am? I'm the God of Abraham, the liar. I'm the God of Isaac, the liar who didn't learn from his daddy, the liar. And I'm the God of Jacob, the thief, the deceiver, the supplanter, the bargain maker. And that is my name forever. I love that. Because God loves us so much, he's willing to identify himself with us right where we are. That's who he is. Do you know what that means for you? I don't care where you've been or what you've done. You can stop and you can turn aside and you can get into the presence of God and it's the presence of God that will change your life. It's not all the hoops that we try to jump through and the performance that we try to make and the walls that we try to put up. What changes people's lives is the love and the presence of Jesus. Always has been. Always will be. So God says, that's who I am. One other thing before we close. I want you to understand God sees, God hears, and God knows. What he says to Moses, he says, I've heard the cry of my people, Israel and Egypt. I've heard them cry out to me because of the cruelty of their taskmasters. I've seen their oppression. I'm sure sure that would be a surprise to the people in Israel that were in Egypt. The Israelites that were in Egypt. Because on the day, see, here's the, oh, get this, this is important. I've said this once before, but I want to hit it again. 
On the day that God's speaking to Moses, the Israelites don't know that God's speaking to Moses yet. See, they're many, many miles away in Egypt. And on the day that God is calling their deliverer, they're being beaten by their taskmasters. On the day that God is setting up their deliverance, they are in some of the worst of their pain. So they don't know that God is having this conversation on the backside of the wilderness with the one who will come in and deliver them. All they know is their pain. And there are many times that we think God's doing nothing when in all honesty, God is actively working out our deliverance. But as I said at the beginning, God uses people. Somewhere could it be that God is speaking to someone who is about to walk into your circumstance and he's going to use them to turn it around. And could it be that you are someone that God is speaking to right now, that he's getting ready to move into somebody else's bondage, somebody else's addiction, somebody else's pain, and bring deliverance there. Listen, it is our delays that keep other people in bondage longer, if that's true, and it is other people's delays that sometimes keep us where we are longer, and the good news is it's not forever, because when Moses finally, and I won't get there, but when Moses finally gets to a place where in all of his interactions with God, he says, God, just send somebody else, then God finally says, no, sir, I am sending you, but I'll send Aaron with you, and he'll be your mouthpiece. Now stop with your excuses and go. Eventually, that deliverance is coming. But don't you dare for one second ever think that God doesn't see and God doesn't hear and God doesn't know. Because way before Moses showed up in Egypt and said, let my people go, God was already working their deliverance. And from God's perspective, their freedom was already done before Moses ever stepped into Pharaoh's court. I want to encourage you today. Number one, if you'll just stop and turn aside, the presence of God changes wherever you are to a holy place. God's waiting for you to turn aside and focus on Him. Once you do that, God will speak. And don't be afraid. Don't disqualify yourself by looking at all that you aren't and all that you've been and everything you've done. That never disqualified anybody in here. God used them in spite of it. He used them in many cases through it. And God hasn't changed. He sees and He knows and He sent a deliverer. God said to Moses, I'm coming down to them and I will deliver them. And the way he was going to do it was through Moses. Could it be that what God wants to do in this nation is through us? Could it be that what God wants to do for that person that you are so torn up about is through you? And he's just waiting for you to turn aside. He's waiting for you to stop. He's waiting for you to listen. He's waiting for you to stop disqualifying yourself. And start understanding that God has always used flawed people because there are no other kind. Don't delay. I want to close with this statement. Calling plus obedience plus time equals deliverance. The first step to Israel's deliverance was Moses' calling. But the calling in and of and by itself wasn't enough. Moses had to be obedient 
to the calling. But even after he goes to Egypt, and if the Lord's willing and we continue on in this, we'll talk about it next Sunday, there's still some time that passes from the moment he shows up and speaks the word of deliverance till deliverance actually comes. Calling plus obedience plus time equals deliverance. Has God called you? Do you know that God's spoken some vision to your heart? I don't care how significant it seems. Remember, God usually starts with ordinary things in ordinary places. What we might even consider small things. See, nothing's small to God. Do you know why nothing's small to God? Because there's nothing big to God. The things we think are big are nothing to God. There's nothing small or big with Him. So everything He says is important. And everything He tells us to do is important. So do you have a vision? Do you have a calling? Have you heard a word from the Lord? I don't care how long it's been since you've heard it. The next step when you know you've heard from God is always obedience. Always. When you feel like it, do it. (laughs) When you don't feel like it, do it. When everything's right in your world, do what God said. When everything is wrong in your world, do what God said anyway. Just be obedient. Because calling plus obedience plus time. Don't get discouraged if miracles don't happen in five minutes. Don't get discouraged if it's been a year or a month or a week or two years or a decade. God don't work on the same time frame we do. It took 40 years on the backside of the wilderness for God to get Moses where he needed to be. See, God's willing to take the time it takes to get us where we need to be. So don't get discouraged. Calling plus obedience plus time equals deliverance every time. So be encouraged today. God's got a plan, and it's good. He sees, he hears, he knows what you're going through. You have not escaped his attention. I want you to bow your heads with me today. Father, in the name of Jesus, we thank you for the presence of the Holy Spirit here in this room today. I thank you for everybody who's taken the time to come out and worship you and hear the word. And Father God, I thank you that you'll take the message and plant it in our hearts. Speak to us through your word and by your spirit. Father God, for everyone in this place who knows they've had a calling from you, knows that they've had a vision from heaven, knows that you've moved in their life, they've got a word from the Lord. Lord, they may have been tempted to give up on it. Maybe they even have given up on it already. Lord, it may have been a long time ago. Maybe they've made some mistakes since then. Maybe they've failed miserably since then. Maybe they've decided that you could never use them because of that. But God, you're still the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. You said that's your name forever. If you were worried about how we reflect on you, you could have chosen a better name, a better title. But you loved Abraham. Matter of fact, even when he made unbelievable mistakes and horrible failures, he would come out of those places blessed more than he was when he went in. Because you had called him, your favor was upon him. In the midst of King Saul's 
rebellion and the nightmare of his disobedience to you, even though David had already been anointed king, twice Saul was in his clutches. And his men wanted him to take Saul's life so they could hurry up the plan of God. And it was the plan of God. But David said, no, I will not touch the Lord's anointed. Because even in the midst of Saul's failure and disobedience, he had had that calling from God. And David honored that. Lord, you have not forgotten your people. You see and you hear and you know what's going on in our lives and you love us. And Lord, we may not know it yet, but somewhere, in some place, you may have already spoken the word of our deliverance. Lord, you may already, and I'm sure you are, you're orchestrating behind the scenes, moving things into being for our victory and our fulfillment so that what you've called us to, we can do. God, let us not be discouraged today. And for everybody in this room who is discouraged, everybody in this room who's allowed just life itself to break them, God, I feel you reaching out to them today to say, hang on a little longer. Let go of the distractions. Stop and turn aside. I'm waiting to speak to you. I can make that place you're in, no matter how miserable it is to you right now, I can make it a holy place if you'll just welcome and invite my presence into it. See me. Recognize me there. Because you are there with them, Lord. Jesus, you said you'd never leave us or forsake us. You said you're with us always to the very end of the age. So you're there with them right now. In the midst of their pain, even in the midst of sickness and disease, even in the midst of brokenness, hurt, disillusionment, and fear. God, you don't forsake your people. We do. We don't think we can get around things, lest it pull us down. And yet, God, you said, just shine where you are. Be one who holds forth the word of life. Having done all to stand, stand therefore. Having on the whole armor of God. Father God, I just pray for encouragement, for hope, for peace, for strength, for fresh vision, fresh calling in Jesus' name. With your heads bowed and your eyes closed today, always the first thing I want to give an opportunity for is anybody in this room who doesn't know Jesus, you've never let Him take control of your life. You've never given up who you are so you can have who He is. If you need to do that this morning, you feel that tug in your heart, I want to give you the chance to do that, to give Jesus control of your heart and your life. Or if you're running from God, you're a Christian and you know it, but you're just kind of running right now. You, you're just not letting God have control of your life. It's been a while, but you're ready to give things back to God. If you need to do that, either one of those things today, would you lift your hand anywhere in this room before we pray about anything else? Okay. Okay, then here's what I believe the Lord has been speaking to us today. I know there's some people in this room today, I just don't know exactly who you are. I know, for lack of a better way of saying it, life has kind of broken you recently. You've become disillusioned and disappointed with people. And here's the thing. Because those people, some of them are God's people, you've kind of become disillusioned and disappointed with God too. 
And you, don't, you may not have told anybody else that because you, you know how it sounds, but God already knows it. And then because of that, the enemy puts those thoughts in our minds and then he comes and pounces on it when we think it and he makes us feel bad about what we thought and makes us think that, well, God can't minister to you now. God can't do anything for you now because, my goodness, look at the way you thought. And it becomes a vicious cycle. I've got some good news of freedom. Romans chapter 8 says, There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh but after the Spirit, for the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. That's what God says over you today. So no matter what you've thought, what you've said, or where you've been, there is hope, there is peace. God has not given up on you. You may have given up on you, and other people may have given up on you, but God has not given up on you. He's not rescinded His calling. He's not taken back that vision. He's not changed that word. Yes, He knows what you've done and where you've been, but He knew what you were going to do and where you were going to go when He first spoke to you. And He loves you. And He, oh my, He identifies Himself with you. He says, I'm the God. I'm the God of Lynn McWhorter. I'm the God of whatever your name is. And that will be my name forever. No matter where you've been or what you've done, I identify myself with you. I'm not giving up on you and I'm not walking away. If you'll just stop and turn aside, I'll speak with you. And I can make this place where you are, even your pain, I can make it holy. There's some of you in this room that that's exactly where you are. You know it. I don't have to say anything else because God's already spoken to you today. But you need to let Him have your pain. You need to let Him have your hurt. You need to let Him have your disappointment, both with people and with Him. You need to let it go. He's there. He can make that place you're in holy. He can bring you and change you even in the midst of your wilderness, even in the midst of your pain. He hadn't changed His mind about you. Don't you change your mind about Him. If that's you and you need His touch today and you're ready to let Him have all of that, would you just lift both hands right where you're seated? Just let, just, just not to me, but to Him. God, I'm hurt. I'm broken. I'm disappointed. I'm disillusioned. And God, I could hold on to this and I've been holding on to this. I blamed you and everybody else. But God, you've got me. You're never walking away from me. And I'm not walking away from you. So God, here's my pain. Here's my brokenness. Here's my disappointment. I give that to you and I receive your healing in its place. I receive your hope in its place. I receive your promise in its place. I receive your joy in its place. I receive your purpose in its place. I receive your vision in its place. I receive your calling in its place. In Jesus' name. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. We receive that right now. Hallelujah. Praise God. Let's stand together. Father God, I bless this people as we leave this room. God, we're not leaving your presence here because you don't dwell in buildings made with brick and stone. Our bodies are the temples of the Holy Ghost. You dwell with us wherever we go. So as we leave this place, you go with us everywhere we go. Help us to be mindful of that. And Lord God, I just pray in the name of Jesus that as we leave here, we will see our world around us differently. We will see people differently because we see you differently. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. We love you today. Go in the grace of God. If you need prayer for anything, we'll hang around as long as you need us to. 
We're glad you were with us today. Don't forget Bible study tonight at 6 o'clock. We'll be continuing on through the book of 1 Samuel.